0: Good morning to all of you. It is a challenge to to think about what to share on a, on a Communion Sunday. We have heard lots and lots of messages on these sorts of days, and it's not that we're going to be bringing up something new. I mean, if, I, if, if there was something new to share, um, then it's probably heresy, I'm guessing, so Probably we, we really don't want heresy this morning. Uh, not that we have one any morning, but particularly not this morning. Um, but I would like to think about bread this morning. And we're going to start um, in the Old Testament and kind of move through um, and finishing up with the bread broken for us. So I'm a little bit of a bread baker, so this is um, something that some of you all do and some of you don't. Um, those who don't, it's okay. Um, they sell bread at the store and it's pretty decent stuff, probably way better than what they had in Jesus day. Um, but I remember when I first started baking bread because, um, a lady that, um, worked with me, a medical assistant had a bread maker and she said, do you want a bread maker? Uh, one of her children had given it to her and she had no desire to bake bread. And I said, well, sure, give me a bread baker, uh, and so anyway, I took it home, and it just sat on the counter for a long time, and I thought, you know, it would just be really neat to um, to, to use this thing and see what happens whenever you put things, ingredients inside this bread maker and um, find out what happens. And so um, so I got this recipe um, for focaccia bread, and focaccia bread is, uh, is kind of an Italian bread and... Anyway, you put different things on it. Um, And it looked really good in the pictures, and so I thought, you know, this is a good thing for me to start with. And so anyway, so I made the focaccia bread, Um, and I I took it out, and I put it in a pan, and I let it rise. Um, Or at least I thought it was going to rise. It never rose. It just stayed flat. It was probably more like um, Catholic communion wafers than like the bread we're going to eat this morning. Um, But fortunately, it was salty enough that Anna liked it. So we were able to um, give her quite a bit of it, and she ate it. Um, In the time since then, I've gotten a little better at baking bread, and usually now it does rise, which is a good thing. Um, But bread is something that people have been eating for years and years and years. In Bible times, uh, they would have had coarse-ground flour, water, and yeast. Um, And they didn't have packets of yeast, like you go to the store and buy, um, they had natural leavening agents. So they would have uh, basically, when things go sour, there's yeast forms in them, and they would use that to, to get their bread to rise. At Passover time, the bread, which was called matzo, was made without yeast and would resemble a cracker of sorts. And um, it was very specific that they had to They kneaded the bread, and then they had to put it in the oven within 15 minutes so that it didn't have any leavening at all. So if you just let bread sit out, eventually something will happen, and it will rise at least a little bit. Um, They would have baked their bread in wood-fired ovens, and their bread would have had a pretty thick, hard crust. And their flour was coarse, um, not fine like our white flour today, or even um, as fine as our whole wheat flour So these days bread is made with bread flour, um, water, salt, yeast, and often people put a little bit of sugar in to help it rise better. But in the Bible, bread is used metaphorically for a number of things. So people would say that bread is like this thing or like that thing. And one of the things that we know about is that it's like the Word of God, and we're going to read about that a little bit later, Um, Bread was symbolic of God's care for his people. Um, You can see that in Amos 8, verse 11. And bread symbolizes Jesus. Um, And we're going to look at that in John chapter 6. So, um, When I think of the bread and the wine, both of them contain symbolism about what a church is. So flour is made by crushing wheat kernels and getting rid of at least some of the bran. And then what is remained is then combined and used to make something worthwhile. Um, so milling is an intensive practice where women in Bible times would take two stones um, and put grain between them and just rub it until the kernel was broken down. And every time they made bread, they had to do this. So they would just sit there and they would grind. So they didn't have the, the kinds of mills that we have these days. Matthew 21.44 says, And whosoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And I, I must confess that neither one of these things sounds good, okay? Which is better, to be broken or to be ground to powder? Well, probably being ground to powder is worse. But I think the point is that Jesus is telling us it is better to allow ourselves to be broken on him than someday to be crushed in judgment. Wine and grape juice are made through the crushing of the grapes and mingling of the juice of each grape together while removing the refuse. And in the same way, a church is a mingling of broken people with God gently removing the things that shouldn't be there and making something more of us than what we could make of ourselves. And I've often wondered if anybody in the church is truly whole. And I think the answer is no. Even the people who seem to be have it all together and everything just looks wonderful have days when they are struggling terribly. And all too often we think the church is about having a bunch of holy, wonderful people getting together um and then a few people showing up who need needs met and and the church will meet those particular needs. And we don't realize that everyone around us is struggling in one way or another. We are all broken people, and maybe it's a little bit like in a in a family when ev- when everybody's sick. Okay, so you know when our children get sick, um, the parents get sick too. Um, the parents can't really stop; um, they have to take care of their children. But um, but we're all sick at the same time, and. And somebody has to try to to meet those needs. And that's a little bit the way the church is. So bread in the Old Testament. um, This is probably the number one food that was eaten by people in the Old Testament. And uh, when there are famines in the Old Testament, it would speak of bread as being in short supply. So um, when Joseph came to... Um, Power in Egypt in Genesis chapter 41, it talks about this. It says, then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And then seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt was bread. So when the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried unto Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And The famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And then in 1 Kings 17, this is where Elijah went to the widow at Zarephath. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, um, that is Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And both of these stories have a pleasant ending because of God's care. God met the people's need for bread and for flour and for wheat in these situations. But there were many people who didn't have that in these famines, and many people died. So many of the stories in the Bible revolve around grain, the story of Ruth and Boaz, we, we read stories about um, plagues that um, or locusts and things like that that would come in and they would just wipe the crops clean and the, the people would have nothing. And um, they didn't have Walmart or Food Lion or dollar stores for that matter to go to. It um, may be surprising to realize that there weren't dollar stores in Bible times, but there were, not even shekel stores. So manna is something that... Um, we think of when we think of bread. So Psalm 78 verses 23 to 25 talks about manna. And you can read a little more about it in Exodus 16. So it says, yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven that it rains down manna on them to eat and gave them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels food. He sent them food to the full. And it was some kind of really fine grain that that fell um, or or came up from the ground. I don't think the people knew what it's um, where it came from exactly. Um, it wasn't bread, but it could be made into bread. And one passage says it's like coriander seed. So if you all don't know what coriander seed looks like, you can um, uh, ask your wife to look in her spice closet. And maybe she has some there. And you can look at it. It's a pretty fine seed. It's um it's um so, does anybody grow cilantro? There's a couple people. Yeah, cilantro is really good. So, if you don't like it, it's not good. But for everybody else, it's good. And um, the seed of cilantro is, is coriander. So, little tiny seeds. Um, and they would collect this stuff. It, it just was in heaps, and they would collect it, and then they would take it in and, and grind it up and make their bread out of that. And it sounds like it was tasty and nourishing. Um, but, um, as time went by, they got tired of it, didn't they? Uh, so I, I, you know, I can't imagine if you, um, you know, let's, whatever your favorite breakfast cereal is, if you ate it every single day, eventually you would get a little bit fed up with it and you'd say, you know, it's, it's time for a change and 40 years is a long time and they ate manna every day for 40 years. So it did vanish as the morning went on, and um, even though it was nourishing, so the, the people were healthy while they ate it, right? So um, if, you've, if you've read any stories about um, sailing expeditions, um, there was something that sailors struggled with that, um, that wasn't pirates. What, what was it? Scurvy. Um, so. So people with scurvy had a vitamin C deficiency. And if all you ate was bread, you would have a vitamin C deficiency because there's just not enough vitamin C in bread. And when you get vitamin C deficiency, your teeth fall out, and you get sores on your skin, and eventually you die. But it takes a long time, and it's not a very fun way to die. So uh, that's why your parents make you eat vegetables, Uh, those of you whose parents make you eat vegetables. Um, But manna had enough vitamin C in it that the people didn't get scurvy. I don't know how that was, but anyway, God provided for them. The word manna means what is it, which is an odd name for a grain, but it was something that people hadn't seen before. So in all their time in Egypt and all their time after that, they never saw anything like manna. God provided for these people. So there are a few things about manna. It was symbolic of the miraculous care that God took for his people. And it came regardless of their behavior. So even when the people were acting up and, and behaving badly, God still provided the food that kept them alive. And that's something that uh, I, I just it was difficult for me to wrap my mind around. You know, if, if I was uh, struggling with somebody, I, I don't know that I would keep supplying their needs. But, but God continued to supply the people's needs, even when they weren't what they should be. And the important thing that the people were to learn from the presence of manna in their lives was of God's faithfulness. As they told the story of manna to their children, their children's children, they would remember how God cared for them in the desert. And they even put a pot of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. So, um, not that they were supposed to look in the Ark of the Covenant. There were two things in the Ark of the Covenant. There was Noah's rod that had budded, and there was manna, a pot of manna. So... You know, if if you were to go into the Ark of the Covenant, you would look in there, you would see this. Um, so bread was involved with worship in the tabernacle and later in the temple. So when we think of sacrifices, we think of blood sacrifices, of sheep and goats and even pigeons being offered for sin. But bread was offered too. Leviticus 7, verse 11, 14 Says this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving the unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes <clears throat> of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides these cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, of this peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering. As a heave offering to the Lord, it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings. So, peace offerings are something that we don't think about a whole lot. Most of the time, when we think about offerings and sacrifices, we think of sin offerings—offerings offerings that we're going to provide atonement for sin. Um, and if you had some kind of sin, you couldn't offer—you um, couldn't offer a loaf of bread, um, but there were different times when you would offer bread. So at a time of a fulfillment of a vow, you would offer bread. So for instance, when Hannah vowed to give her child back to God, if she had one, when she came back to the tabernacle with Samuel, she would have brought some bread along. Um, and maybe she brought some animals as well that they would sacrifice. But, um, but specifically as this, this time of Thanksgiving, as this fulfillment of a vow, um, They would bring bread. They would be offered as thanksgiving after God had delivered someone in an hour of need. Um, They could be offered as a free will offering, a just-because gift to thank God for being a great and wonderful God. Um, And most of this offering would not be burned. A little bit of it would be, but most of it would be given to needy people. The point was not that God needed people's bread, but rather that they were demonstrating gratitude to him by giving away the things that they realized he had provided them with. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 4. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna Which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus quoted this passage, didn't he? When Satan was tempting him, Jesus looked around. He's famished with hunger. He's not eaten for 40 days. And Satan says, look at all these stones. They look like loaves of bread. With the power that you have, you could turn those into bread. You could eat. And Jesus said, this quote, man does not live by bread alone. I'm convinced that some of my children could live on bread alone and and maybe some cheese sticks to go with it. Um, But in ancient cultures, people really did think that they lived on bread. If you had bread, you could survive another day. If you did not have bread, you were going to die. And you would die relatively quickly. These people weren't fat people. So if you were a poor person in in Israel and a famine came, you and your children weren't going to make it. And this is a part of Moses' final speech to the people. He tells them of the importance of serving God and following God all the way, even after they entered the land. The point of manna was that they could understand that their pursuit of physical food wasn't as important as trusting God to provide for their needs. And more than that, God's word was more important than all of it, wasn't it? So I think we could learn this lesson a little better. You know, I I know that when we have a, a carry and I start smelling the smells at the end of church services, um, you know... My mind is not always on the bread that the uh, minister is doling out. My mind is thinking about the, um, the bread that the cooks are getting ready um, in the kitchen. Um, and so often we focus on things like that. Um, it reminds you, doesn't it, of John 4 where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman and the disciples come back just right after this lady leaves. And they've got food. They stopped at McDonald's and they got him, you know, a hamburger and some fries. And and Jesus just isn't interested. And he told them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Um, So let's move on to Jesus, the bread of life. We're going to go to John chapter 6 and we're going to be reading um, a fair amount here. So John 6, verses 1 through 14, Jesus fed 5,000 people. And we know this story. It's one of the few miracles that takes place um, and is listed in every single one of the Gospels. Jesus took bread and fish from a young man who was there. He broke it. He multiplied it. Um, so it wasn't like if, if I had um, um, five loaves and two fish and I broke it up so that every single one of you had a piece, um, it would be a very small piece, right? Um, Unless they were very big, big loaves and big fish. Um, But Jesus says, you know, it says about this that every single person was there was fed and there were baskets of leftovers picked up. And I don't really want to focus on this so much as just to say that this is what came before Jesus big talk to the people. So we're going to read verses 22 through 40. And we could really read to the end of the chapter, but it's a little long. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples; they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So, just I, I think uh, the Apostle John could probably have used an editor when writing this some sentence. Um, but basically, the disciples got into a boat and they went over, and Jesus wasn't in that boat. And then somehow he got to the other side, and the people didn't know how he got to the other side. They just knew that he wasn't with the uh, disciples, and then he then he was and They couldn't figure it out. So anyway, I think that's what John was saying here. Um, They were confused. So they followed him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they didn't see another boat leave and they didn't know how he got there. Um, And um, so Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes on me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing. Which should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And Jesus went on to say that except the people ate his flesh and drank his blood, they could not enter in. And this really bothered, bothered the people. Um, In many of them, it says, stopped following Jesus because of this. They didn't understand what he was saying. They wanted fish and bread. And here is Jesus not giving them fish, not giving them bread, and giving them a talk that almost sounds cannibalistic. But let's go back a little bit and think about the things that Jesus was saying. The first thing is that Jesus identified the people's focus. They were not focused on listening to him and his teaching. They weren't even focused on getting rid of the Romans at this point. They just wanted free food. And I can understand this. Okay, so, you know, doctors have money, right? Um, You all know this. Um, But if you offer doctors free food, you know what? They always take it. So, you know, this used to be the thing with drug representatives. I don't really see them anymore. but, But drug representatives could get time from you just by bringing you food. And it wasn't always very good food, but it was free. And that was the important aspect of it. And so in the same way, you know, if you had free food at the gym here on a, uh, I don't know, a Thursday evening, and you said free food at the gym, you didn't even specify what the food was, you'd have a lot of people who are sitting here this morning show up. And maybe some more besides, they tell their friends, free food at the gym. So people will line up for not so great food as long as it's free. And so Jesus says, you know, your focus is wrong. You are not supposed to focus on this earthly food. But you should focus on heavenly food. And the people answered by saying, you know, Moses gave us manna. And Jesus corrects them and say, you know, Moses didn't give you manna. Uh, God gave you manna. Um, you know, so anyway, but I mean, so, but they, they say, you know, Jesus, what kind of thing are you going to give us to let us know that you're from God? You know, Moses, he, he gave food for 40 years to the people. And, maybe you could maybe you could at least give us food for 20 years if you could give us food for 20 years we'd sign up for that program and jesus said you know manna was not heavenly bread the son of man that comes from heaven is heavenly bread and when he talks about this he's not talking about communion it's easy to see the metaphor there we see jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and it sounds the same as, as what it sounded at communion, but he's talking here about believing in him and his mission. The whole point is that we take in Jesus and make him a real part of our life. It's not enough just to pray a prayer, but we must accept him as our Lord, and with that comes satisfaction. If you think about the best meal that you've ever eaten, uh, maybe picture that in your mind just right now. Y'all probably pictured something different, each one of you. Um, But there's something special about that meal, wasn't there? Somebody special prepared that for you. It was in a special location. You were with people that you wanted to be with. And you were hungry. Whatever that thing was that made the food special, the one thing that I am sure of is you got hungry again afterwards. That meal was not truly satisfying, not in the way that the bread from heaven is satisfying. In 2018, McDonald's gave away as a promotion something called the McGold Card. And I know that none of you all won one. So, uh, but um, if you won one, you got a lifetime of McDonald's food. And I'm not sure if that's a prize or not. I, uh, depending on what you think of McDonald's food, you know, maybe, maybe that sounds exciting um, but it wasn't really even a lifetime of food. thats um, You were qualified to eat two meals per week at McDonald's for 50 years. So that's not exactly a lifetime of food, is it? You couldn't actually eat every meal there for 50 years even. Um, but maybe this is what people were looking. They wanted a McJesus card. They wanted something that would qualify them for free food. And I wonder if the reason why we hunger for and desire things which are not healthy physically and spiritually is simply because we have not supped on the real bread, the bread from heaven. So breaking the bread, Matthew 26, 26 through 29. I gave Wendy this verse up here, you know, and then I'm not even going to read it. But this is, uh, for some reason or other, I, I took the verse from Matthew. So, uh, but they say the same thing. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." 1 Corinthians 11:24. You all know this, um, but Paul is quoting from the Gospel of Luke here, and he says that Jesus broke the bread and said, "Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Jesus took the bread. It was certainly unleavened bread. This was right before the Passover. They would not have had any yeast in it. And he broke it and gave it to his followers. And there's so much symbolism here. Earlier, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. And this, you could say, is the beginning of the loaf. It is the death of one, so there could be many more grains. One grain of wheat does not produce very much flour. But many grains together produce enough flour for many loaves. And this applied to Jesus' life and ministry, but it also applies to us. We need to die to ourselves in order that we can be born again, so that we can bear fruit, so that there can be more wheat, more flour. In order for wheat to become flour, it needs to be milled. Basically, you would take two stones and rub them together and grind it. Around here, if you drive around, you see Old mill wheels, you see old mills, and they would use the the water to turn the mill wheel, and then it would turn a huge stone inside, and farmers could bring their their grains, and they could grind them up. But in Bible times, they didn't do that. It was all very intensive. Um, And the breaking of the bread is the last thing, and this is repeated so many times in the New Testament. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he broke the bread. boys loaves into pieces. Um, He didn't clone the loaves. He didn't do anything magical there. He just broke the bread and handed it out. When he met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they recognized him when he ate food with them, when he blessed the bread and broke it in their presence. And this speaks to me of the fact that Jesus was willing to be broken for us. We are broken people, and yet he was willing to be broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus does understand us. He endured family and friends who didn't understand him. He lived in desperate poverty without even a place to lay his head. He suffered and died for crimes that he didn't commit. And some people argue about what exactly the bread composition should be. The Catholic Church says it's got to be made from wheat. Um, It has to be unleavened. But I don't think that that matters so much. As I read about the early church, it's clear to me that they practiced the breaking of bread a lot. They ate bread with every single meal. And when they did, they would break the bread. And as they ate the bread, they would think about Jesus' death and suffering. And so it came back to them with this very simple everyday gesture. And that's the point of communion, is remembering. People argue about what happens when you take communion. Is there real presence in the bread and juice? Does it actually become the blood and body of Jesus? And they use big terms like transubstantiation and consubstantiation. But I don't think all of this gets at the real point. There are a few things that we can say for sure that are going to happen this morning. First of all, we are going to look back across 2,000 years and see a sacrifice that Jesus made for me and for you. And if we don't do that, if we focus on what exactly happens, and if there's special grace that happens when you take communion, then, then you're missing out. The second thing is that our hearts are to be ready for this. Much as the Jews would go through their homes and remove the yeast, so we too are to try to make certain our lives are as pure as possible. And then maybe the final thing is that as we take communion, we realize that we aren't taking communion to produce a heart change. We are taking it because of the way in which Jesus has changed our heart. I know there's some churches that believe there's a special grace that you get from taking the Mass or the Eucharist. But Scripture's clear, that's not so. There is a blessing when we purify our hearts, come into the divine presence, and remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus, says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of a dry ground, He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And Isaiah here gives a picture of the suffering servant. Jesus was not beautiful. I don't know what you picture whenever you picture Jesus in your minds. Um, I think most of us probably picture him like we've seen him in in pictures. You know, snow white robe, uh, maybe hair that's a little longer than what we would feel comfortable with on a guy this morning. A dazzling smile. Isaiah makes it clear that Jesus didn't look like that. there was no beauty that we should desire him. there was no comeliness. Over the hours that led up to the crucifixion Jesus was brutally treated. he was beaten. he was kept on the go without rest. and we can just sense how exhausted he was when he collapsed under the weight of the cross beam that he was carrying. To his death. He had walked miles and miles through Israel in his ministry, and now he was unable to walk the short distance from Pilate's hall to the hill where he'd be crucified. And there on the cross we see a man dying who is so physically damaged that we have to look away. We cannot look at him because he is so marred. The hymn says, under an eastern sky, amid the rabble's cry, a man went forth to die for me. For me. And so I finish up thinking a little bit about broken things. Our tendency, from a human standpoint, is to throw broken things away. They don't do us any good. Particularly these days, we don't fix things. Electronics, whatever it is that you have, when it's done, it's done. And you throw it away. And when we look back to the Garden of Eden and we see a creation that was broken. Adam and Eve had walked in the garden with God. They had been whole. And suddenly there was separation. There was blame. There was relationship that was broken between each other and between them and God. And maybe if we were God, we would throw them away. We would say, I'm done with this world. I will wipe it out. Make something new, and yet he didn't. Francis of Assisi said, "Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood." as to understand, to be loved, as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to such as have a broken heart and serves such as have a contrite spirit. God saw us, saw me and my brokenness and realized that the only way to heal me was for him to enter my world and allow himself to be broken for me, for you. And as we break this bread this morning, I pray that we would be able to remember the cost of our hope, our joy, and our healing. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we don't understand really the sacrifice that you made for us. We only know that we have healing and grace and mercy because of it. And I pray as we think about it this morning, that we could understand afresh what it is that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.